You know, for a lot of people, it wouldn't be a, a, that big of a deal. But when Steve Molinelli's local track shut down, it was a dark day for him. It was something that he loved to do, hanging out at the track, being part of the motorcycle scene. And that was gone forever. And it left a huge hole for him to fill. From there, things just got worse. He sold a bike and then another. And then his focus was on something else. It was on feeding the bad wolf. Addiction. Things went further downhill. Eventually, he was homeless. And after sleeping in dumpsters and living on the street for a while, it was motorcycles that had a hand in leading Steve back to a new life in Saskatoon. And that is the power of motorcycling. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragu. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. John Thomas, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com Molinelli, is that right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Saskatoon. Mm-hmm. Is it snowing out there? It is. How did you know? <laughs> Saskatoon. What else is Saskatoon known for? Uh, ever heard of the Nicholson Brothers? Like, uh, the Nicholson Brothers wrote the book uh, The uh, Modern Motorcycle Mechanics. Uh. And it was uh, kind of the Bible when it came to old British bikes. And they were pioneers, actually, in uh, sales of some of those early brands like Ariel and Triumph and Norton. And they had a shop right here in Saskatoon. Saskatoon. Uh, my name is Stephen Molinelli. I'm from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I am the assistant manager of the Saskatchewan Aviation Museum. Stephen, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Jim, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Are you Stephen or Steve? I like Steve. Steve works for me. So what are you doing? You're, you're a manager at a museum, an aircraft museum? Yeah, so uh, another one of my passions besides motorcycles is uh, vintage airplanes. So I actually oversee a museum here uh, in Saskatoon that uh, that flies vintage airplanes. Wow. And are you a pilot as well? I'm not, no. no. You'd like to be? Uh, if my fiance would let me, I probably would. But she <laughs> says uh, motorcycles are dangerous enough for her. So. so how does someone who's not a pilot end up getting a job as a manager at, at an aviation museum? You know, I'm glad you asked me that because... Um, so I spent 22 years uh, in the car business and also I worked for motorcycle dealerships as well. Um, but when I got into recovery, I felt that that was not a place that was healthy for me anymore. So I, I grew up around airplanes. So my dad was an aviation mechanic. And uh, so I was always around airplanes my whole life. And it, it was kind of something that didn't 
materialize for me. But then when I, when I came into recovery, I decided, you know, I'm going to finally do something I want to do and be happy about getting up in the morning. Now I had worked for, for bike shops before and things like that. And those are great too, but I really wanted to separate the two. I wanted to concentrate on motorcycles more as a passion than a job. That's a, an interesting job though, because it's not one that you'll duplicate probably anywhere. It's no. the only job like that. I mean, you can work at a dealership and service or something like that. And there's all kinds of them around, but that's, mm-hmm. that's a one of a kind. It is really, it's a, it's a gift every day that I get to come here and, and, uh, and play with them. And there are a lot of similarities to motorcycles. So, and then a lot of our guys do ride. So it's, it's, uh, it's a cool place for sure. You ride now. What, what are you riding? Uh, currently I'm on an 85 BMW K100 RT. What type of riding do you do? You know, I kind of do everything with it. It's, uh, it's my Swiss army knife. Uh, I ride through, uh, there, we have a forest just north of the city that I'll go explore. Uh, we like to ride up in Northern Saskatchewan as much as possible, but, um, lots of touring with it. Uh, I've even taken it on a track day. Sorry, you said Swiss army knife there. And then you also said K100. I think you, <laughs> did you, did you, did you name something wrong? <laughs> Come on. The best bike you have is the one in the garage, right? <laughs> so that's what it is. The, the K100, the flying brick as they're called. Yep. yep. That's your bike. I mean, a beautiful bike. People love that bike. Mm-hmm. They just don't yeah, tend to no, ride it. It's, uh, no, I, I guess it's not your first choice. If you're going to, yeah, I mean, I would love to have a June GS, you know, or the, or that new Norden 901, but uh bank account doesn't say, uh, doesn't say yes, but uh, I love this old brick. It just, uh, it's taken me on many adventures in the short time I've had it. There, there is something about, um, using a bike for something it's not really suited for, you know, it's a, you, it sort of ups your skill level, doesn't it? It really does. And it makes you, it makes you think about what you got to do. And, uh, uh, I, I'm always the odd duck, right? So, uh, being a little bit different, uh, always, uh, resonates with me. Let's put it that way. You know, with your story, I, I want to start at, um, what, what do you see or what was the most drastic turn for you? good or bad? Well, let's just start at that moment. Well, you see with me, Jim, it's, um, it's, it's ironic that it, that we're doing this interview today because, uh, uh, today is the five year, I think I want brains having a a lapse here, but I think it's a five year anniversary of my second time in jail. And, um, you know, uh, I went from being very, very successful, uh, to the outside eye to basically being homeless on the streets within five years. And I think that that moment of just desperation and just, you know, basically losing that will to, to participate in society was kind of that darkest moment where you don't, you don't even know if you want to continue. Right. So, uh, mentally I was exhausted physically I was exhausted and, uh, it, it was just hard to carry on at that point you were forced to live on the street. Does that happen like all of a sudden, you know, as a, a door uh, opening or? Well, yes and no. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a five year relapse from recovery is what I, what I went through. So I started, uh, I started, uh, using drugs and alcohol again in 2013. And, uh, by 2017, I was, uh, homeless, uh, on the streets of Calgary. So, uh, it got really bad within six months. Um, but, uh, that's the, you know, the progression, right. And it's a progressive disease. So it, it does take a little bit of time to, to get there, I guess. Let's go back. You mentioned that your dad uh, was an aviation mechanic. What was growing mm-hmm. up like for you? 
You know, I, I grew up pretty normal. Uh, I, I, uh, I was in that uh, 2.5 kids uh, suburban, suburban household, you know, and uh, I didn't, uh, you know, sometimes when you hear uh, stories like this, there's a lot of trauma growing up and things like that. And I, I didn't have that, right? Um, but I always felt a little bit different and I felt a little bit odd. And, um, but as far as, you know, uh, growing up is concerned, I, I, I had the, the picture perfect childhood, big, big family, lots of cousins and aunts and uncles that cared about me. And so, um, you know, that certainly wasn't, uh, certainly wasn't where, where it led me astray, I guess is the best way to put it. Talk about feeling odd. Uh, well, I, I just always felt that, that I didn't fit in, whether it was sports or, or, uh, you know, uh, in, in school or anything like that. And I, and I didn't, um, you know, I didn't really discover kind of who I was till much later in life. And, uh, and, and I'm still learning that at the age of 44. Right. And, uh, I, I finally kind of start, you know, looking in the mirror in the morning and realizing I like who I am. Um, but for many, many years, I, I didn't like who I was and I didn't like, you know, the things I was doing and I didn't feel like everybody else and I didn't look like everybody else and act like everybody else. So it was always, I always felt a little bit of an outsider and uh, that's where, you know, certainly uh, my recovery and, and also motorcycles really came into play because when I get on a bike, I, I, I do feel normal and I, I feel that's, that's how I want to see the world and, and whether it's traveling or a track day or, uh, you know, even commuting to work, you know, when I see another motorcyclist approaching me and I, I give him the wave or, or I stop and have a coffee with somebody on the side of the road where we're just instantly connected that way. And uh, uh, that's where I, I guess I don't feel as odd anymore. You're not riding your bike to work right now. You're in <laughs> you've, got, you've got snow right now. Uh, trust me. I've been on, I, I've been looking for a sidecar. So uh. <laughs> that's going to happen someday. Trust me. Now the only downside is, and we always talk about this is, is the road salt. And I imagine Saskatoon, you're using a lot of it. Yeah. That and potash and uh, other nasty stuff that can be on a bike. But, uh, um, it, it is going to happen for me for sure. I mean, there are other things that, uh, that the winter, uh, allows us motorcyclists to stay connected, whether it's, uh, podcasts, uh, whether it's, um, books, um, be being in the shop, wrenching on your bike. I mean, I spent Sunday, uh, having lunch with some people that I ride with and then went out to another friend's house and, uh, he's helping me restore an old Yamaha that I've got. And, there are things you can do certainly for sure. But uh, yeah, uh, sidecar is in my future. My wife's going to hear that and kill me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there she knows now. <laughs> so way back, wh wh when did you first stumble across motorcycles? Well, I, you know, it's funny you uh, mentioned that. I, uh, I can remember my first vision of a motorcycle and it was uh, my uncle had one and I, I don't even know if he owned it, but it was in a shed uh, that was uh, being used as a pool shed. And I remember it specifically, it was a KZ 900 Kawasaki. And I remember being a young guy and like crawling all over this thing and just thinking it was, you know, almost like a spaceship that could take you somewhere. And I was probably four or five years old at the time and just being enamored by it. But I didn't grow up around motorcycles. I didn't, uh, my dad doesn't ride. Um, I didn't really have any family members that rode. So it, it after the KZ kind of left my life, it wasn't until much later in life that I 
that I decided uh, out of almost necessity to start riding, I I'd convinced my first wife that, hey, if I buy a motorcycle, it's going to be much cheaper on fuel. And I remember buying this uh, CL175 Honda to commute to work. And, and that's that was my my uh, way into motorcycles and uh, uh, started using that to commute to work. And by the end of the year, I think I had four or five bikes and one of them was a brand new Honda. So <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole really fast. <laughs> So, and were you, did you get into track days then as well? Uh, a little while later, not, not long after that. So I had already been racing cars, um, sports cars, uh, around that time. And before that, and, uh, I had kind of accomplished everything I wanted to do racing sports cars and it, it, it became not, not fun anymore and not really challenging. Uh, and then uh, a friend of mine said, Hey, you know, you race cars, you should try racing motorcycles. And, uh, yeah, that again, went straight down that rabbit hole pretty quick too. <laughs> so, so, I mean, to me, that's, you know, sounds like everything's going great. Where, where, do, where does things turn for you from that? I mean, you, you're into riding, you, you've discovered it, you've obviously fallen head over heels into it and you're exploring all the different avenues. Where do things and how do things turn? You know, it's, uh, first off, I, I do want to say that I'm not going to say that motorcycling was the direct result of, uh, me relapsing, but, um, it did have a small part to play in it. So we'll fast forward a few years later and, uh, I, um, uh, I was working at a bike shop, uh, a BMW Triumph Ducati store, which I really, I really enjoyed doing that. And I had some motorcycles and I was doing some track days and some traveling and, and then um, my local track, uh, which isn't very local, but uh, it's in Edmonton, but it, it closed. And uh, uh, that was kind of a real kick in the, you know, uh, kick in the chest, I guess. And uh, it, it kind of started a series of, of events where uh, the track closed. Uh, I ended up selling some motorcycles to pay some stuff off. And then... Um, I was moved from the motorcycle shop back into a car dealership. And then before you know it, I wasn't riding anymore. And, and, uh, that was something that was removed from my life and it left a big hole. And because I was already starting that road of, 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 of abusing, uh, alcohol and drugs, um, they started to fill that hole. And, uh, before you know it, I was already down that road where, uh, I, I couldn't turn back. You, I think you mentioned already, you, you describe yourself an addict. Is that, is that right? Yes. What is that? Well, uh, in the easiest way to put it, I guess, is, uh, uh, you know, one drink is too much, uh, you know, one, one drink is not enough and, and a thousand is too many. Uh, you know, I, I can't stop. So if I, if I start with, with be it drugs or alcohol, there's, there's no off switch for me. It, uh, it, and, and it turns me into somebody I don't recognize. It turns me into somebody I don't know. And, uh, I don't like that person. Right. And <laughs> neither does the rest of the world. So <laughs> sober Steve's a pretty cool guy, uh, using Steve, not so much. How do you become an addict? I mean, you mentioned that your, your childhood was normal. You're saying it's average, the two and a half kid thing. That, that's all average, normal stuff. Is this something you're, you're born with? I'm trying to get my head around it, you know, so that I, I fully understand, so that we, we, you know, have an idea of exactly what that is. Because I think it's so easy to brush off and, and think of as an addict as someone who's just been irresponsible. We're going to take just a quick break. When we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about. Stay with us. 
You know, it's not very often you come across something that changes your ride. I mean, improves it in a drastic way. The Atlas Throttle Lock is one of those things. Now, what it does is it holds your throttle in position as you ride, so you can relax your hand and your, and your wrist, etc. And it's funny because, you know, it seems so simple that it could almost be dismissed as maybe not that important. That's probably what I would have thought before I'd met David and Heidi Winters at a show as well. Um, by the way, David and Heidi Winters, uh, they're a couple, they were traveling the world. David had a broken wrist and he got so frustrated because he was trying all different kinds of throttle locks to ride because Heidi doesn't ride. So he's the rider of the bike and they wanted to keep moving and he's trying all these different throttle locks and he just got so frustrated that, that he th said, when he comes back, he's going to design a new throttle lock. And that's what he did. And man, what they came up with is revolutionary. It is beautiful. I mean, not only is it a beautiful piece of gear, craftsmanship, it works as if it was designed from the factory. Better, in fact, than if it came with, a fa uh, with the, the bike from the factory. It's got two buttons on it that I want to tell you about. Two buttons with firm, positive feedback. When you press them, you know which button you're pressing. It tells you whether you're engaging or disengaging the throttle lock. It'll change your ride. Have a look at it. AtlasThrottleLock.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Turkana Gear is a new manufacturer of soft luggage for motorcycles. Crafted through experience is their motto because the founders are all travelers. So these travelers, including Mickness and Elsby from Peaky Peaky Overland, got together and brainstormed on what they liked and what they thought was lacking in soft gear that they had experience with. They thought about what was important to them as travelers for gear, and they came up with some interesting points. First off, uh, it was paramount that the gear was durable. That's an obvious one. Dependable, of course. Um, then repairable. They wanted the bags to be easily repaired on the road. Simplicity. They want gear that gets the job done. And the interesting thing was they wanted it available at prices that leaves money in your pocket for more riding. I like that idea. Turkanagear.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Turkana is T-U-R-K-A-N-A. -A, so Turkanagear.com. How many riders have you heard say the stock seat on their bike is terrible? Some say it's like sitting on a two by four. Others say it's like sitting on a wood, wood slab. It's important to keep your butt happy so that you're comfortable. But what about your feet? Stock foot pegs are the bare minimum. So you can ride the bike out of the showroom. That's about all you want to do with the stock pegs. But if you want to get serious control of your bike, you want to sort of up your ability to control your motorcycle, well, the, the stock pegs just don't cut it. And you know, until you've had a great set of foot pegs on your bike, you probably can't imagine just how much difference they can make. The day that I installed my IMS products foot pegs, uh, I was getting ready to head out on a ride. I installed them and then I went around packing and loading and I sort of forgot that I installed these new foot pegs on my bike. That is until I rode out the driveway. And the moment I stood up on those pegs, man, the connection between my foot and my foot pegs, I didn't realize what I was missing before. It's important, obviously, to have connection between your foot and your foot pegs because it is how you control your bike in particular when you stand. But even on the long stretches, you want a foot peg that's comfortable IMS Products makes a full line of motorcycle foot pegs um, to fit your ride. Everything from the real wide ADV1 and ADV2 on down to the Core Enduro and others that they have. They're made of cast certified stainless steel. They're warranted for life. They're made in the USA. IMSproducts.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. IMSproducts.com. 
how do you become an addict? I mean, you mentioned that your, your childhood was normal. You're saying it's average, the two and a half kid thing. That, that's all average, normal stuff. Is this something you're, you're born with? I'm trying to get my head around it, you know, so that I, I fully understand, so that we, we, you know, have an idea of exactly what that is. Because I think it's so easy to brush off and, and think of as an addict as someone who's just been irresponsible. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, before, uh, before this time in sobriety and, and, and a lot of people, you know, um, um, when they hear my story and they meet me and they go, wow, you know, I just, I picture an addict, you know, the guy behind the bridge, you know, with a, with a, you know, with a bottle of whiskey and a brown paper bag, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think, you know, and this is just my opinion, but I think we all have that capability of going there, you know, and uh, I use that analogy that, which I've borrowed from somebody else, but it's, which wolf are you going to feed, right? You're going to feed that good wolf or that bad wolf. And for me, um, the bad wolf is being an addict. And was I born that way? Probably. Uh, did it happen right away? No, I think it can happen, you know, quicker for some people than others. For certainly for me, it, uh, it took a little while to get there, but, uh, coming to the realization that I am and accepting that every single day is what gets me through it. Right. So you're, you mentioned your ADHD as well. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that that probably doesn't help. Describe what, like, talk about what ADHD and what it is. Oh man, uh, you know, I call AD, you know, ADHD is one of my superpowers too, though, right? Because I can I can accomplish a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. But uh, ask me, you know, to go pick up a jug of milk at four o'clock, and I won't remember. <laughs> you know, I just I, I just won't. And uh, um, you know, uh, I have a bumper sticker on the back of my truck that, uh, that my missus got me that says, uh, I have my other cars, 10 motorcycles that don't run. And that's, you know, that's part of the ADHD, right. Is, is, uh, fulfilling that itch, uh, to, to, to get stuff, uh, like motorcycles, you know, and, and, and it's okay when it's motorcycles, as long as you could, you know, pay your bills and buy food and, and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, my missus is pretty good at putting up with it. Um, but uh, the, in the same sense, if you have ADHD and you suffer from, from addiction, you'll fill it with booze. You'll fill it with, uh, you know, drugs, gambling, wh- whatever it may be, right? So um, uh, motorcycles don't make me want to go rob a bank. Let's put it that way, where drugs and alcohol, that could happen, right? So so ADHD, as far as like a clinical description of it, is what? Uh, what, I, what is the acronym now? Attention deficit something. I can't Hyperactive disorder, I believe. <laughs> yeah, hyperactive disorder. Yeah, yeah. yeah so there I mean, so that mixed in with, with a, uh, some sort of um, addictive personality or addictive um, mindset, however, however addiction comes on for, for you, mm-hmm. um, that's got to make it worse because isn't ADHD sort of a, a compulsive type of disorder as well? For sure. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. You mix that with, with, uh, with something like uh, addiction. Um, it's even harder uh, to deal with, right? Because now you're dealing with two, two issues and, and you're, you're left scratching your head going, you know, do they correlate? Do they, you know, are they, are they related? Um, you know, and I think society likes to put them on, on two different shelves. When I, when I think for me anyway, uh, I gotta, I gotta, uh, you know, take care of both of those problems at the same time because they, they do feed into each other. So what happened to you? You, um, had your track closed, you end up spiraling downward, you've stopped riding. What happens? Well, uh, you know, all those things disappeared from my life. And like I said, I I left a, a pretty big hole and I started filling those holes with, uh, with alcohol and drugs. And, uh, 
you know, I was, uh, I was living in Edmonton and, and, um, thought I was living a pretty successful life. And, and, uh, you know, before you know it, uh, I was, uh, on the floor of my apartment, uh, and my brother found me, you know, basically pretty close to death. And, uh, he tried to save me, uh, but he couldn't. And, uh, he had to actually kind of, uh, tell me that, uh, we had to part ways for a little while. And, and, uh, then I wound up on the streets uh, of Calgary, Alberta. You mean save you? I thought you meant in a physical sense. He tried to save you in your life and the way you're, yeah. you were heading downward. Yeah. And how do you how do you end up on the street? Do you just all of a sudden have you know your landlord show up one day and, and say get out because you haven't paid the rent? Pretty, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I mean my my resources at that time were very limited, and uh, they they went to other priorities, not rent and food. They went to buying drugs and alcohol because that's all I. That's all that I could, uh, that I, I couldn't see past that. That was all I could see was that at that point in my life, I had given up any dreams of riding again or having a normal life. Uh, I just thought that this was, this is, this was the end, you know, this was how I was going to live the rest of my days, how long that would be. I didn't think it was going to be very long at that point. So, uh, I'd pretty much just given up and the, and the streets, to be honest, felt n- more normal than than living a normal life because I couldn't understand what a normal life was like. Because of the way you're living, because, because you're only worried about, you know, getting stoned and drunk sort of thing. And, exactly. And, and that fits in, I guess, with at least some of that. And I certainly wouldn't want to paint everyone who's homeless because there's all kinds of stories out there, but I mean, for sure, you're going to find some of that there and find, I guess, people to, to befriend. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and that's true. We can't paint that with a paintbrush and, and assume that we, everybody was in the same case as me. And uh, I'm just speaking my story, right? There's all kinds of stories out there. And, uh, but yeah, that's in a sense what happened. When you say living on the street, what does that mean? Ah, uh, well, I, you know, uh, from shelter to shelter, I, I did spend a, a few nights in a, in a, I got creative and found that, uh, dumpsters, uh, uh, in underground garages are warm. <laughs> So that was, that was, uh, that one sense. of the places. So, uh, until I reached out to some, to some people, that's, that's where I, uh, that's where I thought I was going to live my days. While you're doing this, you're not waking up every morning thinking I can't do this. Like, well, what's the thought process when you wake up? Is it, is it, I can't do this. I got to change my life or is it, I need some alcohol or some drugs. Where am I going to find it? Yeah. So it didn't, I mean, I, I, you'd have those mixed mornings where it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but I don't know another way out. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, until, uh, until the point where I, I, I made that conscious decision of, uh, I have to stop or I'm going to die. And, and that's when the, uh, the tides turned for me, right. It's making that conscious decision because nobody can make it for me. I mean, I had family, uh, children, everything that were, you know, come on, dad, you know, we want dad back and we want our friend back and we want all this back. And that didn't matter to me. I mean, that didn't, you know, uh, it's a very selfish disease. And uh, it wasn't until I was ready to make that conscious decision to say, you know what, this has got to stop or it's not going to end well. It's a disease. It's, it's not something, mm-hmm. it's it's not just life choices. I mean, you know, somebody, somebody decides to live in a certain neighborhood and, you know, and, and maybe they don't want to work and they sign up for welfare or whatever. That's a life choice. A lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if somebody did it consciously that way, um, I right. might be careful how I'm saying this, but, but you're, you're not, that's not a choice for you though, is it? 
It's not. I didn't wake up in the morning and ask to be this way, right? Um, it, it is It is a disease and it is a progressive disease. Uh, you know, even though I'm not um, currently using anything, I have to still be aware of it and conscious of it every single day. And I have to accept it every single day. And when I get up in the morning, it's I'm not going to use today. And, and, and that's what gets me through it. Every single day is like that. Every single day for the rest of my days. Is that because you sort of went off the rails to begin with? I mean, had you not gone that deep, would you still have to be fighting it the same way? Is, is that what it is? Like what I'm trying to figure out here is, is it something that's developed from you going and living on the street and, and being so far into the booze and the alcohol? Has that sort of got something ingrained in you or is this something that was there all along and, and you've just sort of identified it? I, I think that for me, and I, I, I want to stress that I'm just speaking for myself, um, is you're right. I think that, that I had to get that far down and I had to get that bad in order for me to, um, to, to, to feel the way I do today, you know? And, uh, I mean, before that, uh, you know, we talk about my old K bike, right. And we talk about the kind of dumb stuff that I do with it. Well, before, you know, before that I had all kinds of new motorcycles and, and fancy stuff. And, you know, now just having this ancient K bike in my garage, well, that excites me because I appreciate it now. I, I, I appreciate so much more about life uh, that I didn't before. And I live very differently and I walk through the planet differently because I know, I know the other side and I don't want to go back there. And, and, and I will fight tooth and nail not to go back there because now I see how bad it can really get. Now, does that happen to everybody? No, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of the reason, uh, that, that I'm, that I am the way I am is because I I have seen the other side and I don't want to go back there. This was back in 2013. That's when it started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, I mean, that's not all that long ago, you know, to, to have, to have experienced that and then came back out again. So you mentioned you, you sort of reached out for help. What did that entail? Well, I contacted some friends that, that I probably hadn't talked to in a long time. And, uh, you know, they, they rallied around me and, uh, they, uh, they got me back to Saskatoon and, uh, and believe it or not, within, within a very short time, I, I actually had a job, uh, that entailed motorcycles and uh, I had a place to live, which was amazing. How do you stop from going back each morning though? Again, I think I just saw the darks and the depths uh, of where I went and, and I made that conscious decision that I was going to, I was going to try life and I was going to try living. And, uh, and, and that's what kept me going in the early days was I, I, I'd convinced myself that, you know what, we saw how bad it can get. We, we don't want to go back there. Um, let's give this a whirl. And, and that's what, you know, kept me going in the early days for sure. You mentioned you, you were you're sort of an anniversary for you for um, the second uh, time you were in jail. How did you end up in jail? Uh, impaired driving. Mm. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, um, it, like I said, it was my second uh, second impaired. And uh, here in Saskatchewan, they take that very seriously. So I was, uh, uh, I was looking at some jail time uh, because of that. And... Uh, um, yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't a pretty thing, and uh, I mean, I'm grateful that it happened, and uh, I'm grateful that um, you know that I that it was uh, 
the beginning of the end in that sense. And uh, it, um, you know, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't hurt myself. I didn't, uh, you know, nothing really bad happened out of it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, it was the second time. So obviously I didn't learn my lesson, <laughs> mm. but uh, uh, I'm just one of those people. I just, I can't drink, you know, and I can't, I can't use drugs recreationally and uh, you know, bad things happen when I, when I do so. And that was when you were, when you were down and out, when you were, when you were on the street, that that's not after you, you started to get your life back in order. No, no, that was in, in the bad times for sure. Mm-hmm. So as you start to get yourself back in, in order here and your, your life starts to come back together again, you, you mentioned motorcycles are in there. How did that have an effect on, on your life? Well, it's funny because I, you know, in addiction uh, and when things were bad, you know, I still loved motorcycles and I'd see one ride by or, or, or I'd daydream about something that, that I did before. Uh, and, but it seemed so far away. And, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of accepted early on because, you know, I didn't have a driver's license anymore. And, um, you know, riding was just something that was so in a different universe, but, um, the universe had a different idea for me and ended up, uh, I had a very, um, uh, minimalistic job working for someone who had a collection of, uh, vintage Hondas and Ural motorcycles. And, uh, that was put into my life. And, uh, at first I struggled with it because I, I, it almost hurt in a way, uh, working on these bikes. Cause I knew I couldn't ride them, but after a while it, it, it gave me that, that motivation that I needed to get up in the morning. And, you know, a few minutes, a few months into it, man, I got excited, even though I wasn't riding them. I would, I was just, you know, up at six o'clock in the morning and, and out in the shop, you know, having a cup of coffee and, listening to old country music and, and working on these, these vintage Honda CBXs and, and Ural motorcycles. And it was, it was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And even though I couldn't be the person to ride it, uh, when I saw the owner take out a bike that I just revived or a customer that had picked up a motorcycle that, you know, I just done a tune up on or something like that and seeing their smile and seeing them enjoy the motorcycle that motivated me, even though I couldn't ride them you're working as a mechanic. What kind of things were you doing? Very basic stuff from cleaning carburetors to, uh, you know, changing batteries. Um, for some reason, I don't know what it is in Saskatchewan. We don't know how to store our motorcycles properly. So a lot of times it was cleaning out gas tanks and cleaning out carburetors and, uh, you know, making these things run again. So, uh, I enjoyed it though. I really did. It's it's good for business if if everyone forgets to to winterize their bike before they put it away in the province that has the most winter. Go figure. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so how do you get your license back? Because I know you're riding now. You said that. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, uh, you know, early on, I, I I'd almost written off the fact that I may never ride again, and and I may never drive again, and 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 I was okay with that because I was alive and. Uh, you know, I wasn't making a whole lot of money and, um, but, uh, you know, I kept a roof over my head and I had kind of a job and, and, uh, after a while, a, a little better job came along and, and a little bit more money went to the account and, and I was able to get my, my, my driver's license back. And, uh, here in Saskatchewan, you have to have this little blow device, uh, when you have an impaired charge, if you want to get your license back. And it's basically something that you blow into and it activates the vehicle to let them know that you're, you're not drinking. And so I got one installed in a, in a truck and, uh, 
Um, and then after that, I actually uh, I discovered that in British Columbia, they they install those on motorcycles out there because motorcycles in BC are maybe a little bit more of a day-to-day use. They're certainly not in Saskatchewan. So I actually broached our local government and said, uh, uh, hey, um, I think I'd like one of these on a motorcycle. <laughs> and uh, after yeah, six, seven months of, of back and forth and, and convincing them that, you know, I, hey, I'm in re- recovery. This is not really a, a danger to you, uh, you know. Um, yeah, I ended up uh, 20, was it 2019 or 20? Yeah, 2019. I, I started riding again. With with one of those breathalyzer onboard yeah. breathalyzers on there, so you have to you blow bet. into it, and it allows the bike to start. If you have alcohol Correct. in your breath, it's not going to start at all. Hundred percent. Yeah. So your your license suspension then that was on the condition. In other words, you could get it back on the condition that you would put in one of these devices in your vehicle. That's correct. So the law in Saskatchewan and and other parts in Canada as well, but uh, specifically here. Uh, you have to have that device uh, if you have two impaired charges, like I did. Uh, you have to have that for five years. Uh, now, most people would, most people gripe and complain about it, and and I'm I'm just such the opposite. I'm just so grateful that I that I can operate, you know, a trucker or, or a motorcycle. And uh, like I said, when I when I got that victory and got it, you know, installed in a bike again, and and being able to travel on a motorcycle again, that was like the the best Christmas there ever was. And I'm probably the only customer uh, that walks into that the the. Uh, uh, blow device uh, repair shop uh, when you get when you get your uh, anal you have to have an, an analysis done every month to download the data and see if you ever had alcohol i'm the happiest customer i show up with tim horton's coffee and thanks guys that's <laughs> awesome like and they just look at me like what's wrong with this guy but <laughs> they haven't seen what i've seen i guess <laughs> This, I, I'm surprised you can be so candid about it. I mean, you know, I would think that something like that would be something you'd be embarrassed of and you, and you wouldn't want to talk about it. Why Why do you find it so easy to talk about all of this? <sighs> well, I, I think acceptance is one thing. The other thing is that I think I'm my hope with all of this is that if somebody hears how it was for me and how it is now, uh, you know, especially in this podcast or, or out there in the world and, uh, you know, maybe they'll think twice about driving down that road and, 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 and making those choices. Or if they're as bad as I was, or maybe not even as close, maybe they'll see some hope. And, and that's, you know, at this time of year, especially, I think that's what the, the world needs. It's just a little bit of hope. And, and, you know, man, if I can do it, if I can get back from, from the depths that I went to, anybody can. And I guess that's, that's the moral of the story, right? It is the season for overindulgence, isn't it? For for many oh, people, it, it is the season where people push the limits and 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 have too much to drink and party. I mean, hey, we we're we're humans. We we like to have a good time, and some of us party harder than others. Yeah, and I think you know with the pandemic as well. I don't think that that's helping that either. I mean, specifically here in Saskatchewan, I know our overdose rates are through the roof. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, part of that's time of year, and part of that is is the pandemic. And uh, as I say, I, I just my my all hope with this is just maybe somebody will hear something I said and it'll resonate with them, and, and maybe just you know before they make that choice, maybe they'll they'll remember what I said about about it, right? So. One of the things that was part of your your recovery, you said that you got to borrow a, a, a race bike. Can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty. Uh, a pretty emotional experience. Sorry, I had to pause there. It's, uh, it, it still, uh, it still brings a tear to my eye some days. And, uh, 
So I was, uh, I was being a motorcycle uh, uh, mechanic, I guess we'll call it, uh, uh, for that gentleman with the Hondas. And uh, uh, it was a summer and uh, I, re- I saw some friends posting on social media about how they were going to go do this uh, flat track race just, just uh, west of the city here. And flat track racing is always something that, it, that, that uh, I really liked and I, I like to watch and stuff like that. But I'd never done it. I'd done ice racing, uh, road racing, a bit of motocross never done flat track racing. And, uh, so with the help of a couple friends, I had cobbled together this really terrible little chaparral dirt bike that I thought I was going to campaign at this flat track race. Well, needless to say, it didn't, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't perform really well, but when I showed up there, the, the town that it was in is where my fiance grew up. And one of the guys that was, uh, uh putting on the flat track race, came up to me and said, why don't you ride my Suzuki? And uh, I got on it. And uh, it's, it's even hard to describe to this day the feelings that I had uh, riding that bike around that flat track. Now, was it a really great bike? No, but uh, uh, just riding uh, with friends that I'd ridden with bef- many years before that and smiles and laughs and heck, I even got third place. So... <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was pretty pretty good, good, but, uh, you know, it was a very emotional experience, Jim. And, and, uh, I, I just remember at the end of the weekend, I just said, this is it, you know, you got to get back to doing what you love and, and, and that's motorcycles. Did this guy that loaned you the bike, did he know your history? Yeah, absolutely. He did. Uh, I, I've always been very vocal about it and I don't hide that fact ever. You know, I always, I always say that if I, if I need to rent an airplane and ride it in the sky, that, uh, Steve is an addict, I'll do that. And, uh, you know, is it, is it something that I'm proud of necessarily? No. Um, but, uh, it is who I am and it's part of my story and, uh, you know, um, it makes up who I am and it makes me appreciate my life now. And, and, and doing that, talking about it, being open about it, does that help remind you, help sort of keep yourself in line? Yes, it does. I, I, I really enjoy when people uh, talk, you know, want to talk about my story so that it reminds me every day where I came from. Right. Uh, you got to know where you came from in order to, to go forward and to know how bad it got and looking at my life now, when I get up in the morning and, and see myself in the mirror and the things that I do, it's so different and it feels so good that I don't want to go back to those feelings. Right. Yeah. Because it's not just your history. It's something you have to deal with on a daily. I mean, it's like, it's like living in a, in a bowling alley, you know, and you've got to stay in that center and the gutters are on either side sort of thing. Right. So you got to, that is I mean, the best analogy. <laughs> Can I steal that? <laughs> absolutely. You have to, you have to make a conscious decision to say, I'm staying in the lane. Yeah. Every morning you you do, you got to get up every morning and say that I'm not going to use today and, uh, and, 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 and then go out in the day. And then at the end of the day, you know, give thanks and just be like, you know what, I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't use today. Do you get tempted? Do, do, do you find you, you get, there's times where you get tempted? Uh, not anymore. Um, I think the, the desire is gone, but the living part is still there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the ADHD is always going to be there and it's always going to be in the, you know, uh, on my shoulder. But as far as, you know, um, you know, having a crappy day at work and then wanting to run to the bar, I don't have that anymore. I know I can make better choices and, uh, I can, uh, you know, I can navigate that a lot easier now. 
You mentioned a, a little while ago, you said something about feeding the good wolf or the bad wolf. Do you know the story of that? A little bit. <laughs> Probably not as much as I should. My wife sent me a podcast and they talked about it and I listened to it and I was, it just, the, the saying resonated with me and it, uh, it really, man, it just, it summed up how I am. Right. But I don't, I don't know the story actually. Can you tell the story as you know it? Uh, no, I can't. <laughs> I'll be honest, I can't well, remember. I, I think it. it's, it seems to be attributed to, to, um, first nations cultures really is where it is, yes. but, but hard to tell where it came from, but, but basically and there's different variations from it that I've heard, but basically it's, um, a grandfather talking to a grandson about life. And he says it, there's sort of a fight. You, everyone has these two wolves inside them. They've mm. got the evil wolf, the bad wolf, and then they've got the good wolf and there's a fight between them. And, it, and he says, everybody has it. So you're, um, I think the evil wolf is uh, anger, envy, um, arrogance, uh, self-pity, uh, resentment, so those sorts of things. And the good wolf is love and, and joy and, and all the good things that we like. And he says that the fight's going on, you know, in every person. And the grandson thinks for a while and says, well, which wolf is going to win? And of course, that's the question that the grandfather wants asked. And he simply says, the one you feed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's exactly what my day-to-day battle is, right? Because if you look at those things that the bad wolf is, right, you, we look at uh, anger, resentment, um, jealousy, I think was one of them as well. Um, those, if I feed those things, they're going to go, th- 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 those are reasons for me to use, right? Mm-hmm. Those, are, or those are exactly some of the reasons that, that I did use, right? But if I feed the good wolf, love, uh, empathy, all of those kind of things, well, that's going to make me want to go out in the world and do good things, right? Yeah, and, and everybody has it. I mean, you know, I, I can sure. totally relate to it as well. I mean, I, I think it's a great story. It's a great analogy, at least for me anyway. How does motorcycles fit into your good wolf? It, lots of ways, surprisingly. Um, if, I, if I concentrate on keeping motorcycles maybe you know maybe not not so much the bike itself ah, the bike itself does have something to do with it but also what the bike can do and, and and some of the places it can take you and and some of the experiences and people that you meet so um i i, I really wanted to do more with motorcycles as far as you know uh giving back to the world and uh we had the i'm sure all, all your listeners have heard of the the gentleman's ride and uh I always wanted to take part in that, but it was never, you know, something that was going to be in Saskatchewan. But because of the pandemic, they 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 developed that. I think it was called Ride on Your Own, uh, and uh, so I went out and I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to raise some money. And uh, I didn't raise that much. I think it was twenty five hundred bucks, no, mainly well. because I wanted to get the sticker that they give you when you <laughs> you get a you get a sticker, right? And uh, but I um, I developed a route. Um, for that ride. And I took pictures and I posted on social media as I was going and the route uh, all had to do with my recovery. I made a stop at the local police station and I went to uh, the cancer center at the hospital because I lost my mom to cancer. And I, I, uh, I I rode out to uh, a warm in Saskatchewan where I got my second impaired and, and just took a picture of myself in front of the RCMP station, you know, and I just tied that all in and said, you know, these bad things happen, but I'm taking some good from it and doing something good with motorcycles. 
Wow, you're not resentful. I mean, you'll go right in front of the RCMP station and take your photo and, and you're not resentful toward if them. If I could or- find the officer that pulled me over, I would actually walk up to him and shake his hand and say thank you. Because it was a roadside stop, I assume? Uh, yeah. And that's yeah, the and that was one of the, the key things, I guess, that happened? That for sure, that needed that needed to happen. Did it get better right away? No, but it needed to happen to start the next series of events to get me to where I am today. And so a lot of people may, you know, may look at maybe listening to this and thinking I'm crazy, but yeah, I, I would, I would, uh, I would happily buy that guy lunch and, and, uh, and tell him how grateful I am for, for doing his job. You know, Steve, what I see with it is I'm really impressed with the timeline because I think it was March of 2018 that you contacted your friends and you got help. And um, I believe you went into a program at that point. And this is only 2021. Mm -hmm. This is only a few years down the road and you have got your life back on track. Back on track and better than it's ever been. Um, You know, I've got better relationships with my kids. I've got better uh, friendships. I'm a a friend now that that can be counted on. I'm... uh, uh, I'm probably riding more than I ever did in my life, to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't take long. It really doesn't. And uh, if you put the amount of effort that you did into using drugs and alcohol into your recovery, it works. That's just as simple as that, right? And it's uh, back to the good wolf, bad wolf, right? Keep feeding that good wolf and, and some pretty amazing things will happen. And you, and you mentioned that, that right now you're, you're better than what you, your life is better than what it's ever been, but you have less money. That's mm-hmm. weird to think that, <laughs> to think that you can be happier with less money than you had before. I mean, a lot of people are going to listen to that and think, ah, I don't know, man. Yeah. He's crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you mean money um, doesn't, doesn't buy you, you happiness, but, Steve. But you don't. And that's, uh, I, I think that's the cool thing because when you, when you don't have any money, right. And, and, uh, and then maybe you have a little bit like I do now, uh, you really appreciate it more. And I, I love using that analogy of, of, you know, I think I'm trying to remember the newest bike I owned. Uh, I don't remember now, but uh, I think I, oh, I did. I bought a brand new BMW G450X in like, I don't remember what that was, 2011 or something like that. And, you know, it was an expensive bike at the time, pretty fancy, nice old suspension. And oh yeah, it's a super yeah. cool bike, right? And I've owned Ducatis, I've had Multistratas, I've had super bikes, I've had all kinds of stuff, right? And here's this guy riding an 85K100 and just tickled, right? Well, it's not, it, it's not that, that that Ducati didn't do any more than my old BMW does, right? But when I get on the BMW and I'm riding it down the highway and it's a beautiful Saskatchewan day and the, and, and the weather's perfect and it's just that perfect ride with a friend or something, you know, all of a sudden I'll get a little emotional and go, God, you know, I'm back doing what I love. And, and, and it doesn't matter if I'm on an old K bike or a Hodaka squirt rat, whatever it, it just doesn't matter. You know, I'm uh, you know, I love that quote um, uh, from uh, Steve McQueen, who I'm actually named after, by the way, my mom had a crush on him. Uh. Um, uh, You know, you know, he, I think the quotes went something like, you know, uh, just when I get down about the world, all of a sudden I see people on motorcycles and that makes me have a second look. And, and, and I keep that quote pretty handy in my life. And, and, and that's how I feel about motorcycles. You don't need, you don't need a ton of money. Uh, you know, just, 
just find the, 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 the best that you can afford, uh, learn a little bit about it and learn how to pick up a wrench and man, the advent, the places you will go, Dr. Seuss said, right? <laughs> How do you end up on a K100? How, how does that become your bike? No, no, I'm not asking that. Uh, that's not a pejorative no, comment. A, it, that's I'm a super like, cool story. <laughs> I'm just I, curious, I like how do you end up on the K100? So, okay, so this is super cool. I like this. So um, I worked at a BMW dealership for a while, right? I, t- I think I told you that. And um, uh, I had actually sold a GS to, to the person that owned this bike. And uh Little to be known, this person was actually one of my really good riding buddies, friend. Uh, it was uh, his wife's father. And I was like, oh, cool. Fast forward to later when I figure out that, man, I can put a blow device on one of these motorcycles and I can, I can go riding. But here's the problem. I don't have a lot of money and the motorcycle has to have luggage that's affixed and lockable to the motorcycle to put the blow device in. That's the only way they'll let me do it. Right. And I'm like, man, so I start, you know, Kijiji ads and I'm looking at everything, right. I'm uh, Kawasaki concours, uh, KLRs, you, you name it. And then one day I'm talking on the phone with my buddy. He says, why don't you call Dave and see if he'll say, sell you the K100. And I went, a K bike. Really? Oh, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I called up Dave and Dave had bought this motorcycle brand new in Saskatoon. It was actually one of the first K bikes in Saskatchewan and loved the spike his whole life and didn't really he had that and he had the gs and he was obviously using the gs more than the k bike and the k bike was kind of put on the shelf and ignored for a little while and and he didn't really want to sell it but he he knew my story and he knew what i was going through because of you know uh friends with mike and everything and he says you know what i'll, I'll sell it to you I'll, I'll let you have it and it wasn't on my radar as per se but it fit the bill and uh but as i started riding it I literally fell in love with it. And it's, it's honestly my favorite bike I've ever owned to date. Is that right? Yeah. I hear yeah, a lot really of people is. love that, love the, the, the flying brick bikes, the, the K series bikes. Um, very smooth. I had a friend, uh, I have a friend that used to have a, a K bike as well. And uh, from what I remember, he, he enjoyed it immensely. He, yeah. I think he ended up selling it to get a KLR, but um, very smooth bike um, runs very well. Yeah, they're they're a great bike. Um, super reliable. I mean, in the uh, in the two seasons or two and a half seasons that I've ridden it now, I mean, it's been to the coast. It's been all over uh, northern Saskatchewan, and uh, just rock solid, reliable. And uh, right now, in fact, it's in the uh, uh, planning stages to uh, to head to South America with it in a couple of years. What tires are you running on your K100? So I've got the Shinko 705s, which are kind of a I want to call it a 70 30 tire. Let's call it that. Yeah, it's a pretty aggressive tire. It is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It is. So why do you have seven oh fives on your K one hundred? It's a street bike. Uh is it though? <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Um, I like that. Yeah, right. Uh <laughs> I, I like to ride uh where people don't like to go, right? So I love northern Saskatchewan. I love grid roads, and we have a lot of them here, I'll tell you that. Um, so it's the best tire to, uh, to go exploring on and still have a a very streetable bike that I can commute to work on every day. You mentioned that you needed to get a bike that has lockable luggage. Did it have to be a factory piece of luggage that was lockable? Was that the requirement? No, but uh, I, you know, if you, if you go back to having no money and, and, (laughs) Yeah, the thought you know, of buy, buying a Turatech box wasn't really in the budget. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you wanted something you could get and they could install it in right there. And the unit is installed in it and they lock it from you. Is that the way the way it works? 
Uh, no, so it's installed. It has to be in a lockable case so that nobody can steal the device, and it also has to be uh, protected from the elements, right? Oh, so, I see. Um, so yeah, that's why I thought if I found a motorcycle that had, uh, you know, factory bags on it, which this does, um, that just, that, that helps. Right. So, um, uh, and, 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 you know, in a weird turn of events now, I'm like, I'm never going to sell that bike. Like I've got other <laughs> motorcycles now, uh, you know, that I'm just project bikes that I'm playing with, but, uh, that K bike's not leaving. It's, it's going to stay with me forever. <laughs> It's a bit of a, a memento for you, isn't it? I mean, it I mean is, more than you the know, fact that it's a great bike, it means something to you because of the time in your life. Yeah, hundred percent, it does. And and like I say, I just I just appreciate it so much more than than I probably would have uh, in the past. And uh, yeah, it'll always be that little memento or that little trophy in the corner that uh, that uh, that I can look back on and go, you know, that was the start. And and uh, it'll just always bring back good memories for sure. When do you get out from underneath this this blow test to start your bike? Uh, two more years. Two so more I've years. Got, I've got two more years uh, with with the K bike. I'm currently fixing up a uh, 1977 uh, BMW R100 RS that uh, is going to be my my gift to myself when I can ride more than one motorcycle. <laughs> mm. Oh right, because you have the device on your bike. They have to install it. Yeah, and it stays on that bike. Yep. Right. I see. Yep. And exactly. now you're prepping this K100 for, you just mentioned, a trip to South mm-hmm. America. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, I'm in a relationship with a lovely woman named Carrie. And uh, she uh, she's a traveler as well. And I've done some traveling uh, in Europe and, and uh, all over North America. And uh, when we got together, she'd always told me about this world trip that she was planning. And, uh, you know, um, she wants me to come along and now she wants me to, uh, to turn it into a bit of a bike trip. And so we've been, uh, researching and, and doing some planning and some saving, a lot of saving. And, uh, you know, and, uh, we decided actually just not that long ago that instead of buying a bike there, we were going to, uh, through, through the help of Horizon Unlimited and a few other people on, on social media that I've been chatting with, we've decided that, you know what, we're going to take the plunge and, and, uh, and ship it down there. Uh, you know, even your buddy Sam said it was not a but not a bad idea to take the K bike down there. So, so when when are you planning on going? What what is this planned for? Uh, so it won't be. It'll be right when the device comes out. So we'll call it two years. I got to wait for that to come out before we can uh, cross international lines. So. Oh, they won't let you cross the border. I hadn't thought about no, that. No, they this. don't like that. Right. Okay. Will Will an impaired charge um, affect you at the border? Uh, I don't think so. No. So far, okay my research, it looks like we're good to go. So as soon as that thing comes off, this K100, you and Carrie are, are heading off to South America. That's the plan. How long will you be there? Six months for sure. Uh, and then possibly another six months in Europe. That, uh, that certainly sounds like a, a fun trip. This has been great hearing your story, Steve. I really appreciate it. And I, I wish you all the luck. And um, I, I look forward to talking to you down the road when you're, when you're on your South American trip. I'm, I think that could be fun. Awesome. I look forward to talking to you. And it's been an absolute pleasure, Jim. Thanks so much, Steve. All right, man. Take care. was Stephen Molinelli from his home in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. That's in Canada, kind of the middle of Canada, actually. Wide open spaces, big blue skies, 
we've got some great photos from Steve that'll give you a little bit better um, look into his life in the show notes for this episode on AdventureRiderRadio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, GreenChiliADV.com, MotoBreeze Chain Oiler at MotoBreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at CyclePump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks, of course, to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Now, don't forget, we have another show called ARR Raw. It comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately for that, and like Adventure Rider Radio, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. And if you haven't done it already, we would love to get a five-star review from you on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for being a part of this. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Susie. I'm Kelvin. And we're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Very good. Except what you're doing is you're talking to somebody. So you're not telling them you're listening to it. You're saying, oh, sorry. <laughs> so do you want to do it individually? Uh, no, you can do it like that. That's great. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, sorry, what am I saying? And you're listening. And you're listening. What you're an Because you are listening. <laughs> because we're listening. Like you're talking. You, you can't be yeah. listening at the same time. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Hi, I'm Susie. And I'm Kelvin. And you're listening to Adventure, Adventure Rider, Rider Radio. Radio.